Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation time for driven radio show that incredibly long break was brought to you by sunset brothers nursing home what the hell (laughs) hey car fans welcome to driven radio the best damn auto enthusiast podcast on the web prove me wrong and i'll take it back i am brett hatfield here with our engineer and co-host mr mark groves and mr Corey pratt of craving cars on youtube that's me and just for a special treat, we have my lovely bride in studio this evening, Miss Rhonda. Hi, boys. Mm, uh. <laughs> we are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in lovely Overland Park, Kansas, that is going to be flood-ravaged Overland Park, Kansas, in about 20 minutes. Yeah, it's kind of stupid. So nice today, and then they're talking, well, it's probably going to rain and maybe snow. Yeah. This could be the second coming. Uh, yeah. It was 78, then- 78 this afternoon. Way windy. You wouldn't yeah. want to fly a hyperkite. You'd wind up in Nebraska. And we're filming this in June. No, that, that's, not, that's, <laughs> no. That's, that's, not, that's not accurate. I'm just kidding. You need to check your calendar, mister. <laughs> you can find us online at drivenradioshow.com and readthedriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show and listen everywhere fine podcasts are heard. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to tell your gearhead buddies. If there's something you would like to hear more of, or if you have an interesting story, by all means, tell us. Send your emails to brett at drivenradioshow.com. Mr. Corey, with all of your interesting vehicles, what did you do fun with cars this last week? Um, Actually, I went to a car meet that ended up uh, getting us kicked out of the park because there were so many people that showed up. Oh, M-E-E-T? Shawnee Mission Park. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, out of all things, I took the van. <gasps> the monster. The one that's got free candy written on it, it with painter's masking tape. That's the well, I told people, I go, come on in. I've got puppies a pet and candy to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind that eye bolt in the floor. <laughs> and 42 later. <laughs> yeah, that thing's a big old beast. It, that it, is it, a tall. It got attention. And there was people that knew I had it that hadn't seen it yet. So they were there. That, a lot that of is, people were that walking is a up, large asking vehicle. Asking tons of questions. How so. are you doing piloting that thing around town? It actually drives fine. Does it I, really? I've driven cars that were worse. Nice. Wow. So, that's that's yeah. quite the testament. Actually, I think it drives better than my Jeep, which is not saying much on an older Jeep. Well, yeah, but... When you got to take the steering wheel like about a half a foot each way just to go straight, you know, it's... <laughs> oh, there's nothing like a three-quarter turn when you're trying to drive. Yeah, I got a three-quarter turn before it starts. Maybe, yeah, this is awesome. Maybe time for some new bushings? <laughs> Possibly. You think maybe? Possibly. No, but uh, it actually drives really well. It, it has a hell of a good turn radius for the size of and it is, and... Um, it's just that's something I've noticed on German cars. Uh, our, you know, the Schadenfreude Express has a surprisingly good turn radius. Her well, Cayenne has a wonderful turn oh, radius. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not my really. Porsche does. My Golf is probably the best I've ever seen in a car. Really? You know, yeah. All German. All, all German. in all, your your big honking van isn't that long. It's just got that K-pop hairdo height on it. It's just it's really tall. There are pickup trucks that are longer. You so can, like the like the Bride of Frankenstein does not have to duck. Bed. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, Not at all. it's as half as tall as it is long. How about that? Marie Antoinette can keep her head on because you know she can just walk <laughs> right through with that hair. It's a, and I, I'm looking forward. When's your video come out for uh, your walkthrough on um, craving cars on, on YouTube? Cars. Uh, it's probably not looking this weekend, um, but maybe next. So in a week and a half. So I'll be out of town actually a week and a half, but hopefully I'll have a shot and be able to get it. And he's going to have a shot of Abe Lincoln with the stovepipe. Just, and do it on a jumping jack going through that damn thing. There you go. Yeah. Not even close. I'd be, I'd pay for that. I feel like what what I'm going to do is, is climb up the ladder, get on the roof and then jump off the roof onto a trampoline because nothing can go wrong if we did that. I I would pay to see that too. (laughs) I'd pay someone else to, good money. to do it, not me. <laughs> I'll give you three bucks and a soda. You're Ooh, talking, a, talking a soda? about your ass. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like to see hold on, hold on. What, kind of, what kind of soda are we talking about here? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Big red, red cream soda. Oh, my God. Or a knee high. Dealer's choice. Big red Shoot. in the fridge. Done. Done. Okay. If that's what you're including, I'll do it for two and, and a half. And we, you don't even have to worry about the trampoline. I just <laughs> sit you up. <laughs> <laughs> wind up being four foot six by the time it gets done. Did you do anything with your bike? Uh, not with the bike, no. I haven't ever really touched the bike. Have I you done anything with that fine rig you're cruising outside? Oh, that. You mean my mother's 1995 Ford Tourist? Yeah. I discovered Ooh. what uh, what the main problem was. What is the Watch main problem? The main problem was... Uh, it's a 95 Tourist? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it runs pretty sweet right now. It's, it's surprising. And, and what is surprising is when the upper hose stays connected to the frickin' radiator. <gasps> well, no. that's really useful. Okay, sweet for a car okay. or sweet for a 95 Taurus? Yes. Okay. And uh and now I I drove it over here tonight and it it that thing runs so smooth. I did put I put some money into it and then uh also when the DMV was so kind cuz we found her title. Ah. And uh and where she had signed it. Mm-hmm. So uh <laughs> got that finished through and uh and done. So a new title is on its way. Good deal. Good deal. As soon as that arrives, you know, I have to admit it's a it's a little, and I'm, I'm not even kidding. It's a little. Um, uh, there's a little sadness there because you you, you get inside the car and thing is just clean as a whistle. Well, overall, I mean, you can tell where I and I'm sure she said, "Gee, dang it." Sorry, Jesus. When uh, the coffee got dumped in the uh, passenger side well. <laughs> I have something some that will take that out. Uh, we're going to talk. Okay. But other than that, you know, it's spotless in there. Even the cigarette holder spotless. And mom and dad didn't stop smoking until 2001. But there's her perfume smell. Ah. Oh. In, there's just this like you know, roses, roses. I, we finally, finally, finally got the Porsche Cayenne yeah. back. From oh, Porsche yeah. of Nashville, they got everything done, and uh, our local Porsche dealer, who shall remain unnamed, uh, sent one of their people down there to retrieve the car, drive it home because they couldn't get a transporter to bring it home in any kind of reasonable time. No kidding. They got it here. They paid for every bit of the bill at Porsche of Nashville because it was three thousand dollars, or. Thank you, because it was $3,000, and they paid for our hotel, our food, and all the liquor it took to get me on a Southwest flight. (laughs) Which was substantial. It it wasn't. Well, you you guys have seen what it takes. It wasn't small. So they reimbursed us for everything. Big ups to our local Porsche dealer. Yeah, Thank you very much. Well done. That's how you take care of it. Really, really impressed with the fact that their tech stood up and said, yeah, that's probably my fault. Uh, other cor- or other car news, work progresses on the 65 Corvette. The carb is rebuilt, valve nice. job being done, replacing the ammeter, going through the suspension. 
it's going to be bad. It I can't wait at all. Yeah, not, yeah, just only only a little bit. <laughs> For the record, I've made that joke on here several times. You guys have never asked me about We're it. We're the only ones that know. And. <laughs> When I say that, just only, only, that's for Rhonda and Jaden and my other daughter, Marissa. It's a running joke. It's something Jaden used to say when she was really little, oh. when she wanted to make a point. It wasn't only, it was just only, only. Or nice. if she was very emphatic, it was just only, only, only. So when I make the just only, only joke, that's for the girls, and now everybody's in on the joke. Uh, what a dad. Uh, also, Vlad the Impala did a great job at World of Wheels, uh, garnered a lot of attention, and then I drove it home Sunday afternoon after the show, and I'm so glad there weren't cops sitting on that stretch of I-35. That thing is legitimately fast and would get you in stupid trouble. You know, the kind of trouble where you have to go up here before a magistrate. 409s do that. And finally, since we got the Cayenne back, we are trying to sell the little red goat. So if there is anybody out Aww. there in our listenership who would like to have a bone stock 2005 red Pontiac GTO with a red leather interior, it is an automatic and it has the factory body kit on it, which I understand is fairly rare. Please get hold of me, Brett, at DrivenRadioShow.com. Uh, we'll let that car go for cheaper than we should. It needs to find somebody who would love it. 49,000 miles. Nice, nice. Are you going to – you do personal plates a lot, personalized plates on your stuff. Are you going to do one on the Porsche? Um, it's probably going to be the one off of the GTO. Uh, when Rhonda and I got married, I bought her a 92 Corvette convertible white with a red leather interior as a wedding gift. And the tag she had on it says 7707. It's our wedding date. Aww. And that's the tag she's got on the back of the GTO, and that's the tag that will probably go on the back of the Cayenne eventually. You're going to go sentimental? It is her tag. Because I, I know the one that should be on the Taurus is with a P-S-Y-M-A-G or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> um, yes. Hey, that's my mama, bitch. But I will, <laughs> but I will say this. You better say, bless your pee-picking heart after yeah, that. Yeah, we all have fighting You're going to pick up girls and they're going to say, I really like your perfume. It's going to go Will Smith on you. No. <laughs> oh, boy. But I, I will say, we have the van tagged, but we have a personal plate. Okay, and nice. what would that personal pay? It says Amazon. Be? I don't it? know. Um, what do you guys think? What do you think it would be? Like, <laughs> legitimately, what do you think it would be? What would the audience think it would be? And maybe they should uh, rolling. Oh should my guess God! Yes, to Brett at readthedriven.com. Uh, yeah, send your what? suggestions, Brett at readthedriven.com. <laughs> tell us what you think. Clay next, should call his master van. Next week, I'll tell you what it radio show.com. We'll see who wins the prize. <laughs> it's it's sellonwheels.com. <laughs> it's the only van that only turns the third right. Das Wagen. Das ist a Wagen, ja. That's okay. That's okay. Because you know, two wrongs don't make a right, but three Can, rights make a left. left. There you go. Can you imagine what? the uh, gps and that sounds like <laughs> <laughs> just don't hey boom. yeah you, don't don't miss a turn yeah. <laughs> you missed it you jackass i missed it again that i hear a like like a gun cocking back i don't nine, know nine, nine. <laughs> i have a horrible joke that goes along with that you know the later. one i'm talking about so we'll get to that later in the news meekum sets new records for their sale at glendale 
uh, a Washington Hatcher internal combustion engine. What a bunch of idiots. And a small bump in price for the new Corvettes. Our special guest this week is Haggerty. Uh, he's no longer associate editor. He's just an editor. Look at him moving up in the world. Nice. Haggerty editor and purveyor of questionable motorcycles, Kyle Smith. Kyle has spent the last year in change racing six different kinds of motorcycle races all on the same vintage Honda. He <laughs> recently completed the final event racing that vintage Honda on ice. Oh, and yeah, he's yeah. going to be here to tell us all about it. I talked to him on the phone for nearly an hour a couple of weeks ago, and he's out of his gourd. <laughs> yeah. But very, very cool. Got plenty of news to cover this week, so let's get to it. From Meekum Auctions, a remarkable $66.3 million achieved at the Meekum Glendale sale. You know, I applaud it, oh but I'm God. also like, stop. <laughs> I, I thought we were due for a correction in the market over a year ago. I honest to God did. And this market, it just keeps on steamrolling. I cannot believe the numbers that are coming out of it. It's just stupid. This is the most successful Mecham, Arizona auction to date. It was a 53% increase over last year. Dang. Uh, and it's only the fourth year they've done this. And they netted 66.3. Oh, my God. Uh, The auction held at State Farm Stadium uh, March 16th through the 19th became the most successful Arizona sale with a $66.3 million take. As we've said, that's 53% more than last year's Glendale auction with a 78% sell-through rate for an auction that was a reserve auction. That's incredible. Uh, 1,285 of the 1,657 lots offered found new ownership. Attendance was up 37% from last year, and wow, the top 10 sellers at the auction were led by a $3.03 million sale of a Ferrari Classic A-certified 1967 275GTB4. Uh, that was followed Dang. by three more seven-figure sellers. Uh, the auction included... A 1929 Duesenberg Model J Murphy convertible oh. that brought 2.37 million, 182 mile 2005 Porsche Carrera GT that sold for 2.2, mm. and a 1270 mile 2024 GT that found new ownership for 1.1 million. What? Yep, Ford GT north of a million. Uh, Mecham Auctions have seen an ongoing string of successful world-setting results in terms of attendance, sale prices, and sell-through rates, and se- with seemingly no end in sight. Uh, Mecham Auctions are coming up in Houston and Indianapolis, and results from both of these events are expected to follow suit. The complete top 10 collector car sales for Glendale are the 67 Ferrari 275 GTB 4 cam, the Duesenberg, the Porsche Carrera GT, the Ford GT at 1.1, a 2017 Lamborghini Aventador LP700-4 Roadster at 698 and a half, a 69 Ford Mustang Mach 1 Fastback at 440. 440. Yeah, I didn't look that car up. That's either the most original Mach 1 there's ever been, or that's got to be some kind of a, a, a resto mod. I have not had a chance to look at the car. But number seven was a 34 Packard 1107 12 Coupe Roadster at 440, a 2006 Ford GT that sold for 412 and a half, 
a 95 Rolls Corniche-esque convertible at 412 and a half. I got to look that up. I want to see what that car looks like. And a 96 Lamborghini Diablo VT Roadster at 332,750. Anybody sitting around the table here remember seeing Diablos under $100,000 not that long ago? I don't feel like it was that long ago. It wasn't. God. It's it's you know, it's been within the I'll say it's been within the last five or six years. It's probably closer to ten, but I yeah, remember yeah, seeing Diablo VTs selling for eighty grand. I mean, I remember going out shopping. I was like, "Hmm, Corolla, Diablo, Corolla, Diablo." <laughs> I got kids. I better take the Corolla. <laughs> I uh, I got a buddy who uh, in in 1969 bought a Ford Mustang Mach 1 Fastback. You've told us about that, buddy. He was He's, the one who endangered both of your lives. No, no, no. That that was my uh, that was, that my was your other buddy. buddy. <laughs> now, this was a guy oh, that wow. I worked with uh, several years ago, and his name's Ron, and he's just he's a salt of the earth. He's the kindest man I've ever met. And he worked in radio, and I don't know how the hell he survived. I believe I've met Ron. <laughs> Ron, er, Ron Moore? Yes, I've met Ron uh, Moore. He's about, you know, five foot three, but his voice is about six foot eight. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm Ron. How you doing? And uh, Ron has... <laughs> you hear that voice come out of that guy, and you think, wow, you're tucking him in your sock. <laughs> <laughs> you are not wrong. His, uh, he owned a, a 69 Ford Mustang Mach 1 fastback. He has a, he, luckily, he has one picture of it where he's standing there, and he's just, you know, this kind unassuming little guy and then he's just kind of cocked back with all this attitude and i'm Big like old ah! burly mustang behind him. he's like oh i used to drive that to uh, go see marisha and i'm like yeah i bet you did <laughs> and she waited to see your car <laughs> yes she did from auto week washington takes another stab at banning gas cars yay stupid, stupid. stupid gas cars and poopy yeah. make things bad yeah. need electric you'd be quiet over there <laughs> need, le- need more carbon not Hush and, hush and apologize. Simmer down. No, okay. <laughs> Washington State Legislature has passed a bill to uh, require all new light vehicles sold in the state to be electric starting with the 2030 model year. I think that's a little oh. bit more ambitious than they can pull yeah, off. I God. think so, too. I really do. Um, passage of the bill, which could uh, be signed into law by the governor, represents a second effort to bring about the same phase-out of internal combustion engine cars and light trucks by the end of the decade, with the first effort having been stymied, stymied, stymied. Remember by the, him? He was by on the Little Rascals. Veto last year. Okay, <laughs> the first effort would have phased out the sales of gas and diesel engine yeah. vehicles, excluding ones weighing over ten thousand pounds. So this this uh, this thing was introduced by California, which they targeted twenty thirty five. Oh. But while California's attempt was uh, attempted ban was criticized in an unenforceable policy statement, Washington states. Attempt is far more enforceable if enacted. See, they tried this once before, and it yeah. got it got through their House, and it got through their Senate, and it got to the governor, and he gave them the FTO. Why do they think that they could change it a little bit, and the governor is going to like it more this time? Plus, this is a dumb idea. If it's meant to be, it will happen naturally. You do not have to legislate them out of existence. Yes, the mar- this is the market true. will this actually take care of it. You, yeah, yeah, you might will. be surprised that well, people like to pay for things that don't cost as much. And how about, and how about this? Jackasses. So, obviously, electric cars have to drive <laughs> on surprise. roads just like your combustion engine cars, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of that funds, uh, that the, the road maintenance, is funded by the gas uh, tax. tax. The what? gas tax. From gasoline. No. So what's going to happen to the roads after that? They're going to tax this. Well, what they, gonna start what, they propose, what they propose in this stupid bill 
is that they start taxing you by the mile driven on your car. Yeah. Now, A, if that's not going to encourage people to jack with their odometers a lot. Or leave the state. Or unplug them or (laughs) leave the state. Just I'm going to Canada. <laughs> At least it'll be great for poor people, right? Because, you know, oh, that'll in- fix instead of having to worry about those big gas cars, you can go buy a $60,000, $80,000 electric car and then get charged every GD mile you drive. This, I just, I'm, I'm so angry. <laughs> you know, a $3,000 Corolla can get a family down the frickin' road. My mom drove a Renault where they took out one of the cylinders, three effing cylinders on that thing still running and, the and Renault, she was able to get a family around the Renault could scarcely do without the cylinder oh, Jesus it, was Christ, yeah. it wasn't like she was getting there fast but she got there <laughs> and, and these people oh. uh, it just it's it's irritating to no end and this is not a good idea this is not a good idea if it was a good idea, you wouldn't have to pass the legislation to do it. Yeah, the market would do it, it naturally. Isn't that the way they're all heading anyways? So, I mean, it's just going to automatically become a thing where most of their cars being sold are going to be electric anyways. No. <laughs> no, it's no, not. not no, it's not. Them. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I read a really interesting article uh, this past week about the head of Toyota, whose name is Toyota, except spelled T-O-Y-O-D-A. But Toyota and the head of Toyota both think that trying to foist electric cars on people is a mistake. Mm-hmm. And is it? Uh, it's hydrogen that's safe, not helium. Hydrogen, right? Hydrogen fuel cells, yes. They, yeah. that's, that's, the, they, that's the thing I think will be better. The than head of Toyota really myself. thinks right. that hydrogen's got a better future than purely electric. Yeah. I, I, don't, especially, I don't disagree with that. Well, especially, you know, you don't have I, – I know that you still have to mine to find hydrogen, but you don't have nearly the catastrophic uh, ecological effects that you do with mining to find the rare earth metals for batteries and that sort of stuff. Right. And, that, you know, we could get into a really long discussion that's oh, just been hammered to death anyway. I don't think this is a good idea on Washington's behalf. California tried to pass a similar bill, but they were going to 2035. They were going yeah. another five years out. And I still think that would be tough to enforce. I, I And the thing that, that gets me most about the California thing, yeah. if you haven't been there, you're not going to get it quite. But Southern California is absolutely the heart of the car world. It flat is. And the California legislator, legislature is looking to kill that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It doesn't seem smart. It's funny to bring up the hydrogen, though, uh, the fuel cell stuff, because Tesla did a thing a couple of years back just dogging on why hydrogen fuel cell is not the answer and why electric should be it. But this is also Tesla, who has the electric car company. Oh, you think? Well, yeah. it's uh, yeah. Elon <laughs> Musk isn't a total idiot. I yeah. mean, <laughs> right. By any means. So, so I take I'm not going to shoot my self-interest in the right. foot. You know, right. even Edison was trying to do DC until he just couldn't fight it but anymore. And he's like, I, oh, here it is. I learned about that hydrogen fuel cell years and years ago when when the guys were still at Top oh, they Gear. Were, they were doing this back in the 90s. Doing, yeah, 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 this is this – is, uh, conversation that you know it, people have been talking about electric cars for a long long time they did that back in the early 1900s oh yeah uh but you know the batteries weren't nearly what they are now and the charging was difficult to find uh steam hydrogen all the other things you could run a car off of hey biodiesel 
You think we don't have enough fast food restaurants to be supplying biodiesel oil to everybody? You see that? Yeah. That's one of the things. And cottage industries. Well, I, I think what is really the key to most of this is when they deregulate and demonopolize our uh, our you know electric electric grid. Yeah. And uh, you know you're not charged to actually simply generate. A lot of the electricity that you use during the day, you don't have to go, oh, wait a minute, that belongs to somebody else because it came from the sunlight because they made this deal. Sorry, that time ends too. If you're going to F with us about vehicles and our own personal effing choice, then by God, you take these huge monopolies and you go, sorry, and and you let people generate on their houses and there's also all those little uh biodiesel my god you can you can percolate it in your freaking garage well and before this turns into a much larger argument yeah. about power sources and, and everything and else they're just angry and i get on my little soapbox well and, and <laughs> my i'm, little I, I'm about to get on mine yeah. uh, i think renewable energy is great wind power solar power yeah. geothermal that's all terrific uh right now most of the energy in this country is produced by fossil fuels, I I have thought for years and years and years and still believe that nuclear is the way to go, except everybody's going get, to give you a lot of pushback because they saw a scary movie one time. Where <laughs> yeah. For all the nuclear yeah. power that we've ever generated on the planet, we've had three major catastrophes. Three Mile Island, which turned out to be not as bad as everybody thought it would. Uh, the... Oh, shoot. Help me. I'm having a senior moment. The big one, Chernobyl. Chernobyl, Chernobyl, which turned out to be a zillion times worse than everybody thought it should have been. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Russia. And then uh, Fukushima, which they are still doing cleanup around, and it was a problem. But, man, how often do you get a big tsunami to come and swamp your (laughs) island nation? (laughs) Nuclear is viable. And if you want to turn everything electric, then do the thing that will produce the most electricity. It's nuclear, and it's cheap, and they're talking about – I'm not going to get into the nuclear thing now. I'll go for another hour, and we don't have that much time (laughs) left for the show. Well, well, let's just – with all this said and done, yes, it's a a huge topic. Uh, And thank you, Washington State, for bringing it up. Yeah, there you go. Schmucks. (laughs) We we love most of the state, but there there are a few that – Okay, with with that aside, it is a beautiful state, and Seattle's fun. From road and track, the C8 Corvette just got a bit more expensive. Just a bit. Chevy has given the uh, Corvette a slight price bump for the 2023 model year. Base 1LT trim now costs $63,195. It's up $1,050. That's it. At that price point, it's still the performance bargain of a lifetime. Oh, and considering what we've talked about already, yeah, yeah no hell kidding. yeah. And a 70th, 70th anniversary package uh, will be available also for 2023, cool. uh, along with some other cosmetic options. No word on whether the more expensive 2LT or 3LT trims will receive the price increase. Of course they will. And Chevy's been mum on pricing for the Z06 since it was revealed in October. Now, going by historical pricing, we expect the flat plane crank V8 equipped Z06 to come in at just under the $90,000 mark. Which is startlingly good. Yeah. Do you and think it'll be that cheap? Do, do you really think it'll be that cheap, though? It, Starting? It, it'll, it'll price that cheap. But it'll never Nobody's going to buy it for that. Dealers are going to pork you sideways. Got it. But even, <laughs> and admittedly, $90,000 is a pile of money Indeed. until you look at. A new Escalade or a new Navigator and find out that those are six-figure cars. Yeah. 
Yeah, they uh, the performance on that Z06 is going to be startling. Well, Six hundred seventy yeah. just naturally compare, aspirated yeah, horsepower. Exactly, just compared to other cars of that caliber. Yeah, you're not going to find anything else with that performance in that neighborhood, right. especially mid-engine, that prices for under a buck. And I tell you, when you see those sitting out on the road and you drive by one, you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I absolutely get and, it. And you know, I, I'm the cheapskate of this group, and I'm like, no, I, I get it. That's <laughs> that's a gorgeous vehicle it is 70th anniversary trim a 59.95 option that debuted in january gets two exclusive colors with pearl metallic tri-coat or carbon flash metallic that's nice i still want i don't know what they are from those words but it sounds cool yeah it does (laughs) it does there are also specific wheels red brake calipers custom luggage set (laughs) yes (laughs) kind of like an aztec (laughs) i did special anniversary badging (laughs) even if you don't option the anniversary package every 23 corvette will get a commemorative plaque yes Yes! on the center speaker grill to pay tribute to the car's 70 year lifespan i'm 70 yeah (laughs) and i'm kicking ass i'm 70 and i'm coming for your girlfriend (laughs) the luggage rack is not so much for luggage as it is like walkers it's and not a luggage ra- it's not a luggage rack it's a set of luggage which honestly for most of our trips we could have done with a fitted set that would be nice and you know what every not, one right? of those bags are packed with new balance tennis shoes white <laughs> oh oh hold on my white they, tennis shoes are adidas you bastard hey, son of a bitch. mark they put a pair in the front and the rear trunk oh <laughs> yeah baby <laughs> Put them on in the front, walk to the back, put those on. That smells like brood, which smells like winning. Yes. (laughs) English leather, you bastard. Oh, my God. High karate. I love the smell of high karate in the morning. It smells like victory. It smells like victory. English leather or or old spit. Traditional old spice. Oh, my God. You just completely described the cabinet in my mom and dad's house when I was growing up. You're the one who said said that car still smells like her perfume. And British sterling. Can't forget that. There you go. Our special guest this week is embarrassed to be on the show. Is Kyle Smith. Editor for Haggerty and purveyor of questionable motorcycles, Kyle has spent the last year in change racing six different kinds of motorcycle races, all on the same vintage Honda. He recently completed the final race, racing that vintage Honda on ice. That's gutsy. And he's going to be here to tell us all about it, coming up next on Driven Radio. Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio World Headquarters in beautiful Overland Park, Kansas. Our special guest this week is Kyle Smith, once associate editor, now just editor, and he'll he'll expect you to call him Sir. <laughs> Kyle Smith, editor of with Haggerty. Last year, Kyle embarked on Six Ways to Sunday Challenge, racing six different kinds of motorcycle races, all on the same decrepit Honda. <laughs> we had him here in December when we got a, when he'd gotten through five of the six races. He finally finished the sixth event racing a motorcycle on ice, and he's here to tell us all about it. Kyle, welcome back to Driven Radio. Thank you. It's fun to be a repeat offender. You madcap, racing on ice. <laughs> My God. So to recap, what were the six events and the six ways to Sunday Challenge? And tell us a bit about the races and what sparked the idea. Yeah, so the core of this project was uh, kind of forcing people to get their brain around the idea of, like, just go play with whatever toy you have. 
because all of us own something interesting and neat. And half of us always lust after something bigger. It's like, oh, I want to go do a track day. It's like, I need to get a track bike or a track car. It's like, not really. You can take whatever it is you own. And whatever I owned last year happened to be a 1989 Honda XR250. And I decided, let's go take this all the forms of racing and sat down with a rule book, figured out I could make it happen and went out and did it. So the six disciplines were cross country, motocross, uh, supermotor or motard racing, so road racing, flat track uh, or dirt track, as some people refer. I've been learning that uh, that seems to be a regional thing on who says what. Uh, trials, observed trials, and then ice racing uh, was all six. So it was a real adventure. It was extremely stressful, uh, and I'm really happy that I did it. And it was just because you owned an 89 XR250, you didn't go out and think, well, this is enough of a general bike, but not specific to anyone, and I'll try that out? There was a little bit of that, and I think after making it through about three of the six, I realized that trying to pick something that would even be passable at all of them was an automatic failure attempt. It's just the old <laughs> saying that you can't make everyone happy, so don't even try. Yeah. Uh, and the Honda was what I had, and it figured I could probably make it do all of these things, and a couple of them would be a little rough, but there wasn't anything better, and it's what I had. So it kind of stuck to that point of you can go out and you can buy. I don't Honestly, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I don't think if I had a specific bike for each of these disciplines, if I had a set-up road race bike and a set-up motocross bike and all those, I don't think I would have had more fun. And that's that's really the big takeaway from all of this is you're, like you're planting seeds in Mark's it. head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just go out and do it, and and you'll have a great time, and you'll figure out if you like it or not. And I I found out from this project that I really enjoyed a couple of these, and a couple of them you know I probably won't do again. We had we had you on in December, and we talked about uh, the other five races and the challenges and the lessons you learned from them, and what you had to do to prepare for each of them. But ice racing seems like an entirely different animal. <laughs> what were the differences in preparation for racing on ice? And, you know, it's a, and you know, by the way, that seems like the ballsiest thing I can imagine <laughs> doing on a bike. So already, yeah. hats off to you. Uh, there's a I, fuel stabilizer called Jägermeister. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure liberally applied, it really helped with the performance. Southern comfort. Oh, uh, it's 100%. <laughs> So there's a couple of fascinating things about ice racing that uh, I kind of had to go out and do, even when I went and spectated a couple weekends before my race, you don't really get the full picture until you're kind of on the starting line and, or setting up a bike for it. And the studs and the tires are gnarly. A lot of people look at it and they think they're just sheet metal screws uh, or, oh you know, God. just a, a panhead <laughs> screw in the tire. And it is not that at all. Uh, I looked at studying my own tires and setting the bike up myself. And the reality is like the guys that are good at it spend six hours on a tire. Yeah, I'll go uh, get a box of drywall screws yeah. and here we go. <laughs> go get a box of sheet metal screws and just start screwing them in a tire. And the, there's so much more science to it than that. Uh, and so I was lucky enough, How a fellow great racer. I've been on the show before talking about great race uh, and running our 1917 Peerless out in, in that road rally at times speed distance rally. Jeff Fredette, uh, who's AMA Hall of Fame member. Is he really? Uh, runs, yeah, he's he's real deal. 
uh, runs Great Race and had helped us out in some of the early days of that. And he's actually one of the guys who builds ice tires. So when it came down to it, I was calling him to set me up a set of tires. How long are the studs that you're talking about? Because, you know... Guys like me always oh, drywall screws. They, they can't possibly be that long. How long are they? No, no. So you, there is kind of two camps in this, and there is AMA screws, which are American Motorcyclists Association legal. Uh, their rule book says I think it's a quarter inch uh, head on it. So you really don't have that much, and that we'll talk about how that makes it interesting in, here in a minute. Uh, and then you have the Canadians, uh, which oftentimes are spelled with a K or cheater screws is Rot- what some people call them. <laughs> Rotten Canucks. <laughs> yes. And those are uh, three-eighths, half-ininch uh, okay. MF1s, wow. I think, are even bigger than that. And they are razor sharp. All of these screws are very sharp. Uh, the what It looks think? like a standard quarter-inch hex, uh, and they are only a quarter-inch tall, but the entire out of ed- edge of that is essentially a knife edge. And so on a <laughs> rear tire, you might have 300 screws, I think it is, uh, on my AMA tire Ooh. like that. And you essentially have 300 six-sided razor blades. I don't want to do tire. this, but I want to go see it now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's you bring up kind of the interesting challenge of ice racing, and it's coming to realize that you have 300 razor blades on your tire that are dedicated to giving you traction. There's so much traction don't when you go out on that ice. And getting your brain around the fact that you have all of that traction uh, is is really difficult. And going out and looking at the smoothest ice that you can uh, is where you want to put the bike. And so glare ice, where you're seeing a reflection off of it, where no one has been, uh, which all of us would immediately avoid if we were walking out there, let alone fourth gear wide open on a 250. Fourth gear wide open, that's exactly where I need to put that bike. Uh, is is the best place for it. And that's because you only have a quarter-inch head on that screw, so it doesn't bite down through any of the ice chips or snow that might be on the track. Oh, you want to be Uh, where it's smooth and glassy. You want to be where it is smooth and where that screw can bite into the ice. So if a lot of people are familiar with dirt track racing or flat track, even automotive dirt track racing, uh, where all the dirt is kind of thrown up to the top or the outer edge of the track, they call that the cushion. And if you kind of overcook it or if you're looking for traction, you can go up into that, all of that dirt, and oftentimes it'll slow you down a little bit and get you back in the race. And ice racing, it's completely the opposite. If you go outside into where all the ice chips are or where there's any snow, you have zero traction because your screws cannot bite down through that stuff. And it was was insane. It was, you had to learn it in the few practice laps that I got. I think I got six practice laps. Oh, man. Uh, that was actually to, my next question. I'm, I'm like, did you learn that by eating ice, or, <laughs> or was uh, you know, was there some training that went on? But no, you had to go out there and just yeah. figure it out real fast. For those, for those, there's who only are so not... many questions you can ask oh, before you go out on the ice God. without looking like a complete dolt. And I absolutely <laughs> did ask every single question of every person that I could in the paddock. But you don't even know to ask that question. I would and just look like a hockey part. puck at something like that. I, it would just be sideways, and I'm like, no, I'm just drifting. Uh, just Tokyo yeah. Drift right here. So, oh, the, the craziest part, I was in a studded class. So, you know, I'm running yeah, 300 studs in the rear tired. and, mm-hmm. you know, 150, yeah. 160 in the front tire because there's not as many knobs on it. There's rubber tire classes. There's guys out there on no studs. No. And what? I'm, no. If you uh-uh. think I'm crazy for running a studded class, 
those guys were impressive to watch. And <laughs> how does that work? Uh, uh, exactly like they empty think. death row in the prison and say, you know, here's your chance. <laughs> it's you know, death race. We'll take ten years off. Exactly. <laughs> middle of nowhere, Michigan. Racing for the party. It's a riot, and the the body Racing English that's park. required to do that, and how they're moving the bikes around. They're carrying a decent amount of speed going into corners and whatnot. They they sipe the tires wow. a lot, uh, which is if you've ever looked at like a, a true winter tire, you'll notice they're serrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of folds of rubber essentially because that's what gives you that traction is that flex of the tire so it doesn't break away. And so they'll do the same thing to a lot of uh, DOT tires. So a, a street legal like kind of enduro tire that mm-hmm. has a fairly solid tread pattern around, all the way around it. They will slice that hundreds of times across the width of the tire to try and get it to flex with the ice and get traction out of the corner. Wow, no kidding. So you're doing this on an 89 XR250. Are there guys in the paddock looking at you going, this kid's out of his mind? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It was an interesting conversation to have because uh, with this one, this was the one event that I didn't go to an ARMA event. So the American Historic Racing Motorcycle Association. Uh, All the other five events that I did were through ARMA. Right, and this one was actually AMA because Arma doesn't do ice racing because they're intelligent human beings. Because <laughs> <laughs> they want to live, so, yeah. they know better. They they know better. Uh, and so the thing about AMA is they do have a fairly robust class list, uh, but vintage is at promoter discretion, and you kind of have to get five bikes there before uh, they'll run that class. And so I barely, I could probably talk my way into vintage. No one really runs vintage ice bikes. Uh, it's just not super popular outside of the sidecar and the rubber tire rigs. Uh, so in terms of the studded classes, it was me on an 89 XR250. And then I think the second oldest bike I saw on the grid was like an early 2000 CR250, <laughs> uh, which is a completely different animal. Yes, it is. From what I was on, that's a uh, fairly sizable two-stroke with a lot more power, a lot better chassis. Uh, in that 11, 12 years between the two, Honda learned a lot and built a much better motorcycle, uh, let alone the disc brake compared to the drum brake that I had. And similar to dirt track, no front brake uh, out on the ice. So aside from the radical tires you're running, what other preparation do you have to do to the bike? Uh, do, do they do anything to keep it from throwing ice or what do you have to do? So super simple rule book. I was actually uh, surprised. It was, I think, a one-page Word document covered all classes uh, for for rule book, uh, which is fascinating because when I was reading the Arma rule book for road racing, I think just the Motard had three pages uh, of, of requirements and whatnot. So essentially it's you have to run an AMA screw in your tire. Uh, you have to have over fenders. So you have to cover your tire so someone okay. cannot fall into your 300 razor oh, blades. Oh, yeah, yeah. Probably okay. not your a bad idea. Yeah, that's that's not exactly a good time to, to think of. And, of course, it still happens. You can only do so much, but it prevents a lot. Uh, so you'll run a front fender covering the upper rearmost section of your rear tire and the frontmost section of your front tire. That'll help out a lot. And then a tether kill switch. So, like... If you come off. I don't... Yeah, yeah if you come off, it actually shuts the bike down. Okay. Uh, and I saw when I was down there racing, I think there was only one real get off, uh, which was pretty impressive. That's the fascinating thing about ice racing is 
there was not many crashes. Uh, and that was just, it was very respectful racing, despite the fact that my 250 grid, uh, when I went to the feature or the main event uh, that day, it was 15 of us, I think, on wow. on two starting lines. Uh, so that's a, that's a busy starting line yeah. for what amounted to like just under a quarter mile oval. Uh, so that's pretty crowded going into turn one and two, and even in three and four. You know that entire first lap is is chaos. Well, it's not a, it's not crowded if you're eight. in the back of the pack. <laughs> even at the back of the pack, because the start is so critical, and there's only so much traction to be had on ice. Uh, so you can drop the clutch and you're still going to spin. And so people, a lot of the two strokes were getting out. They didn't have a ton of horsepower or they don't have a ton of torque, I should say. And so they could often get out. And then some of the motocross guys showed up that know how to launch a bike, uh, which made a difference. But then at the same time in my race, I watched the guy in front of me. So I was lined up in the back row because they knew exactly where I was going to be. So they <laughs> started me there. <laughs> and I watched the guy just to my right up on the front row made it ah, maybe 10, 12 feet. And it looked like he hit the one, two shift and the front end came up. And I think he just had faith. It was going to ride out and it did not ride out. It came right on up (laughs) (laughs) and he got spooked, took his feet off the pegs, started to dump it to the left and T-boned the guy that was next to me. Oh no. And so I'm, 18 laps into my ice racing career and suddenly I'm navigating chaos <laughs> in my first uh, main event. And so it was, it was pretty comical to watch. Uh, everyone was fine. Thank goodness. Uh, but yeah, even in the back of the pack, there is just uh, absolutely absurd things happening all the time. Okay. So you've got over fenders on the bike. You've got tires with a zillion little razor blades all over them. Right enough about the bike what did you do to prepare you for this what do you what do you wear to do this I got straight with jesus yeah i got, yeah. I, I, I got straight with jesus and i drank with both fists for about an hour what did you do to get your what did you do to get your head in the game how did you prepare for it uh there this was one of the few events that there isn't really practice because uh, you need to go out on a prepared ice surface. And so even with like dirt track racing, I can go out and slide around in my yard and kind of get used to how the bike feels. And with ice, as soon as I put the studded tires on, it had tire covers on it and it was sitting in the back of the van waiting to go down here. So I couldn't really practice at all. And watching onboard videos or anything like that and trying to learn a track doesn't do anything. It's just an oval. Uh, And what I learned going down there was practice was absolutely crucial. And the fascinating thing about practice is this track surface is so important. It's not like you can Zamboni uh, this giant ice surface and, you know, bring it back. If it gets chewed up, it's chewed up for everyone for the rest of the day. Oh, come on. It'd be fun to try. You know, a Canadian would try. (laughs) Sure. I I would need to see it, but I don't think they want to maintain a Zamboni. Put some bigger screws on that Zamboni. Yeah. (laughs) What a ride. But uh, so going out in practice, it was two laps. Uh, and you essentially had to hot lap practice. So they would run all of the big bikes together. So the 250s and the 450s in one big run group. And then all of the small bikes, which was the kids. And then the sidecars separately wait, as well. Wait, so it was back, essentially three practice yeah, groups. Yeah, wait a second. Wait a second. Hold, 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 back yeah. up. Kids. Yeah. I, I kids. Oh, too. yeah. 
Oh yeah, uh, that's why he went class. out. What are we he talking wasn't going to go out except he saw a four-year-old <laughs> kicking ass around the laptop. Totally are, are, are we talking about little Suzuki PW50s oh, or yeah. Honda yeah. Mini Trails or what are you talking about here? So the CRF50 is kind of the the go-to little little bike. Uh, there was a couple PWs, but they're way down on power compared to the CRF50s. So <laughs> if you, I guess, if you wanted your kid to be competitive in uh, the centrifugal clutch classes, you needed a CRF50. But yeah, they had the fascinating thing. It's similar to dirt track form. Uh, was what I when I went down and kind of observed things and looked at who was fast and what they were doing. It was all dirt track racing on ice with tons of traction. Okay. And so what they were doing, their body position, you know, kind of that outside elbow up, their seat up on top of the bike, left leg kind of out hanging around. That whole position was very similar to dirt track. And then you look at these kids on CRF50s, third gear wide open, which is like 33 miles an hour or something like that, but I think. still. In the perfect form. Like, putting me to shame. <laughs> Six-year-olds just, boom, in the corner, right on it, foot out, slide right into the apex. It oh, just I powers it. out of it. And you're just like, they're flat the entire way. How, how From yeah. the, the drop of the green flag, the CRF50s are wide open for three laps. It's fascinating. How old are these kids, or how young are these kids? How little are they? I've, I'm a horrible gauge of that i have no idea well i'm guessing uh, how to under, tell how old it i'm guessing under 10 oh yeah for sure for what, sure like, like the 10 year olds were riding in the like 85 cc two-stroke classes five years old so they were they were running big wheel stuff four and five year old kids that young probably probably yeah oh my god that's right. awesome i love I mean, it when you think about like a that's kid cool. that will ride a, a crf 50 well that's when you uh, teach as soon them. as you can take the training wheels off of it they were on ice. That's when you teach little <laughs> kids to do things when they're little and they don't have any fear of anything. They haven't learned to be afraid. That's why yeah. my folks taught me how to ski when I was five. And by the end of the week, I was following my dad down Black Diamond Expert Trails. I, you know, yeah, you're, you're you a little no tiny. Fear. You have no fear. You can go cut through everything. So it's just, hey, look, more hills. And you're made out of cartilage and Kool-Aid. So oh, yeah, you <laughs> just bounce off of stuff. So. A little tiny rubber person until yeah. you're about 15. You just bounce <laughs> off crap. You're fine. Honestly, I was just talking to a friend about this that I that I ride bicycles with. He's a big skier, big downhill skier. He's like, yeah, do you ski? I'm like, no, I absolutely do not ski. That's horrifying. That's dangerous. And I'm, <laughs> I'm 31 now. I feel like I've passed the age of learning to ski. <laughs> like, I don't recover at all. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. No way. When I, <laughs> when I was in my 20s, I was a ski instructor at uh, Snow Creek. I want my $2. In, in Missouri, <laughs> in Western Missouri. Uh, I taught uh, drunken rednecks how to ski. That was entertaining. It was a bit, lot of fun. <laughs> you hear them up at the top of the hill with a flask in their hip. Wait, does did one you just down, say Missouri? Say, There's ski hills West in Missouri? Western yeah. Missouri. Yeah. Uh, just go that way real fast. If you get going too fast, yeah. just fall. Yeah. And just remember, just... trees taste good. I just want to go see this now. I want to go see these little tiny kids ripping around a track. It sounds oh, yeah. like fun. What surprised you about racing on ice? And aside from the fact that you're on ice and you've got studded tires, what do you yeah. think the biggest difference is from running on dirt or mud or asphalt? Uh, are the... The guys you're riding against, do they have a different mindset or do they approach things differently? Or uh, what, what, are the, what are the differences that stood out to you? 
I think the fascinating thing was I'm really glad I did Ice Racing last. And I say that because it had a, a dirt track form with road race traction. Uh, and even more so. So the fascinating thing about ice with all those screws, there was more traction than I knew what to do with. Oh, Put, putting that thing down into a corner and shutting the throttle and turning in and putting the peg into the ice, putting my left peg on a full suspension bike. I didn't have the bike lowered at all or anything going into this all the way, all the way down left peg into the ice. And it just was happy there. And if you got a little, chaotic if you weren't doing the right thing it would slide just a touch but again you had so much traction that as soon as you did the right thing it would hook right back up and take you out of the corner and so halfway through the main event i figured out that the xr really liked the two wheel slide right into the apex and then it would draw the motor down just a little bit and pull right out of it and you just had to trust that it was gonna be there uh and that the traction was going to be there. And you watch the dirt track guys, it was no different. The back end steps out, you get kind of that loose slide and then you initiate your left turn. And then right there at the apex, it'll actually bite and turn out. And it was just absolutely fascinating. I don't want to go dirt track anymore. <laughs> because I'm, <laughs> I'm now mentally like, there's so much traction because it's ice and you put me out on dirt and I'm just going to low slide all day. <laughs> Kyle's <laughs> running studded, studded tires yeah. in the dirt now. Yeah. <laughs> never going back. But it, it was absolutely fascinating to watch the fast guys uh, go at it because they had a whole different uh, race craft to it. I mean, it's one thing to go out and turn laps and I can turn laps on anything. I don't, you know, that's not aggrandizing myself at all. I can go out and I can ride a lap. Can I race, though, is a drastically different thing. And watching the 450s go out and race and come up underneath each other and get real stinking close was wild. And the only, the little bit of racing I got to do, I chased down uh, one guy in the main. And I feel required to point out that there was 15 people that started uh, my main event. I finished seventh. Oh. I was not last. This is this is a big deal for me. However, was there was like last. five DNFs. <laughs> so <laughs> not exactly great, but not last. I'm taking it. Hey, um, he, you're on an 89 XR250, and guys finish behind you. I'm guessing when they got back to the to the paddock, they ate a bowl of crap. <laughs> <laughs> they might have been having a bad day. Actually, racing with someone was really fun, and it took until I got lapped because just about everybody got lapped, uh, and they came around me on the inside of turn one, and they were suddenly right there oh and so it's like yeah i'll do my turn in here's the apex boom cr250 on the pipe right inside of me and gone and she's like i'm that slow that's what fast looks like (laughs) that's what fast is and it spooked me so hard that that's how i learned that all the way up in the ice chips there's no traction (laughs) was that Uh, because that was exactly where i went when suddenly there was sound and fury just to my left where i wanted to be uh, I stood the bike up just instinctively, thinking that, you know, if they're going to come into me, well, no, he knows exactly what he's doing and where he's going. And he's not sliding into me. He has all the traction. It's just going to rock it right out of that corner. But it spooked me enough that I stood up and had to reset my corner 
and ended up running wide and was out there in the chaos with the bike going all over the place like an idiot. And nothing showed that I had no idea what I was doing like that moment, uh, which was fine. Yet again, stayed up. Everyone was respectful. It was a, it was a great day out in the sun, honestly. This sounds like something you're going to do again. Absolutely. 100%. What changes 100%. would you make? Uh, gosh. I really don't know. I don't, I don't think I had. So yet again, I was talking about the practice happens quick and they turn it over because the ice surface is so uh, fragile, essentially. So I maybe turned 18 laps that day. Okay. Honestly, I don't think 18 laps is enough for me to have a true idea of what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. I think I need three, four more days to even yeah. figure out a setup. I'd love to lower a bike down. Uh, I'd love to have a little bit more horsepower. But the suspension worked for me. Race Tech set it up, uh, and it was a blend of some – some numbers that I sent them and some of the ideas of what I was going to do. And they did a great job in blending some things together. And I really wouldn't change anything right now. I would just go out and have some more fun. Uh, Something that's truly interesting about ice racing is you would think with 300 razor sharp screws on your back tire that you are going to go through a lot of tires. And when I talked with Jeff Burnett, who built me the tires, uh, I was like, yeah, if I maintain them and if I take care of them, so anytime you're not on track, you have covers over them to keep the screws sharp. So anytime it's loaded in the van or rolling in and out of my garage or anything like that, uh, the tires are covered to keep the screws sharp. He said, if you keep them sharp, you keep them maintained and you keep decent pressures in them, uh, appropriate pressures for the course that you're running, you can get like six years out of a set of tires. Wow. And so, yeah, ice tires are quite expensive. I think I was in at $700 for the set. So not wow. a, you know, insignificant investment, but when you amateurize that over 6 years, that's not bad at all. Considering you're doing very little other setup to the bike, you can go out and have a great time for pretty stinking cheap. Uh entry to an AMA event with wonderful uh that was wonderfully run. I think it was 35, 40 bucks. So I was in at $130 for a whole day of racing. Uh, There's not, I can tell you, there was no other event that was that cheap that I got to go out and do. So you raced six different kind of events, and it took about 15 months, give or take, to get everything done. (laughs) Are you going to race events this year? Are you going to run some of the stuff that you ran last year? If so, what did you like? What did you not care for as much? I'm certainly going to go out and do some stuff. Like I mentioned, there's some things I'm going to leave behind. I'm probably not going to go dirt track racing again uh, because it requires kind of a specialty setup bike. Mm -hmm. And there aren't many dirt tracks close to Traverse City, Michigan. So it's enough of a drive and enough cost that if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do something that I enjoy a little bit more. uh, And that's going road racing. So I've dedicated to doing some road racing this year. I picked up a dedicated bike in SV650 mm-hmm. to go out because the XR250 was great fun, but <laughs> something a little more prepared for the course is quite nice. Uh, so I'm going to do that uh, with an SV650. I'm going to continue to run some off-road events uh, when they make sense and when they're kind of close to home on the XR because it did not blow up. It did not fail. Uh, it needs a couple of maintenance items. but No, for- but... You got to hand it to that bike for making it through this year and all the different events. That is 
that's a versatile ride. It, it really is. And the fascinating thing, so I had three sets of wheels that I used. Uh, two are stock size, so 21-inch front and 18-inch rear. Mm-hmm. And then I had a set of supermoto wheels that I built uh, in the garage that were 17-inch with road race tires. I had two sets of suspension that Racetech set up for me. Uh, so one was specific for road racing because that's a completely different suspension setup in terms of valving and spring rates and everything than everything else. And then I had kind of the everything else uh, suspension setup. And then Millennium Tech over in Wisconsin helped me out a little bit on the engine building because the reason I was had this XR250 was because someone left it by a dumpster for dead. It dropped an intake valve and absolutely ruined uh, the top end and the cylinder head and Millennium Tech helped out. They redid my crankshaft for me. They bored and plated the cylinder. And then they also uh, machined and welded CNC machined and brought that cylinder head back to life because Good Lord. Uh, repairs are actually quite difficult to find on those. So uh, the motor held together. The only problem I had with that was my own idiot mistake, uh, which was went down to Heartland Park in yeah. Topeka, Kansas went off-road racing, and it was one of the muddiest events I've ever done, uh, bar none, and got a bunch of leaves and dirt and grass around the counter shaft. So oh, sprocket no. up on the engine side, and it pushed the seal for that shaft in just a little bit. And so the first weekend that I went road racing, I was taking Arma's school uh, to get acclimated and uh, they kind of essentially license you a little bit. So I was getting my race license that weekend and it started leaking from that seal. And by the time I actually ran, I think two on track sessions of 15 minutes each. And by the time I came in, the instructor was like, yeah, no, you're, you're done until you figure that out. (laughs) And unfortunately that seal is pressed into the left case half from the inside so that meant between the weekend that I was at Gingerman Raceway in South Haven, Michigan, and then the next weekend was Blackhawk Farms over in South Boyd, Illinois, uh, was the only time that I tore the engine down and I tore it all the way down to a bare crank sitting on the, uh, on the workbench. And that was Tuesday night, and I was in the van Thursday morning headed for Illinois to go racing. And so that was the only wow. problem that I had and probably could have been avoided if I would have cleaned my bike properly. Are we going to see you at Heartland Park again this year? I will be back. Uh, I will be road racing on the SV, and the rest of the Flatlanders crew will be there as well. So uh, I know you know Casey Maxson and Evan Clary. uh, Kyle Bowen will be down with us. As long as uh, it's not a swamp, I'll come out. (laughs) we got to get you there. We're going to have a good time. Uh, We're not camping in the dirt parking lot anymore. I'll I'll ride out, but I saw the pictures from Ped last year, and that looked like the Okie Finokie. I'm not going if it's that bad. It was a little rough last year. At least Saturday was rough. Sunday was quite a nice day. Corey uh, says you can only salvage so much of a three-day event. Corey says he'll weather. loan you his really kick-ass brand-new van to stay in. <laughs> Did I say that? Das Kampervan, yeah. Sponsor? Ah, Kampervan. I don't remember Ooh. saying that exactly. You said you wanted to be a sponsor? <laughs> he ain't afraid of no mud. <laughs> Kyle, thanks so much for being with us. And, uh, oh, by the way, am I going to catch up with you at McPherson? I will be back for Cars Show. Oh, good. I'll see you in a month, brother. I'll be there, too. All right. Fantastic. Hey, I want to know something. I actually have a question for you. Where can I find those tires for my Cayenne? 
<laughs> oh, you need a set of studs for your kayak. Yeah. <laughs> you already like, have a stud. You have nothing to worry about. I can see you yes, driving around the roads here like a comet. <laughs> <laughs> We've been speaking with Haggerty editor Kyle Smith about the Six Ways to Sunday Challenge. You can find all of the social media links for Kyle and Haggerty on readthedriven.com. Kyle, thanks for being with us yet again, and I can't wait to catch up with you at McPherson. Awesome. See you all soon. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and listen anywhere and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt yep. and Mark Groves. Yo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Mm-hmm.